Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Hey guys, welcome to episode 36 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. Guess what, guys? This is actually really episode 36. Last week we said it was, but we were wrong. It was episode 35, was the vamp chick. And I think we just had uh, too much cold medicine in our systems. Yeah, we and were on that scissor. <laughs> we were, okay, great. <laughs> uh, we were so, so thrown off last week, but we pulled it together and everyone seemed to really have loved that vamp chick episode. Yeah. And it was, it's really one of my favorites only because it, there's just so many deep levels to it. When you see someone who is a perpetrator who really is a victim at the same time, it's hard when we talk about doling out justice. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, what, what justice really could be. Absolutely. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go and check that one out. So before we start, we just want to say we're so excited that it's October. This is our favorite month. It is. This past Wednesday was my birthday and Friday was the one year mark until we get married. It's a big, it was a big day. <laughs> big it was week, a big yeah. day, yeah. Um, so October 5th of next year, we're going to be getting married. But we had a post and everyone that left comments was so sweet. We actually went to visit the venue on Friday because I'm actually psychotic and I wanted to take a picture of the flowers that the venue had out just so like I could show my florist so they could like match because I can't have things that don't match. Yeah, it, w- it was a little over the top, but we took the ride <laughs> out I'm there. I'm a little crazy. So we took the ride. I mean, it's only about like 10 miles away. But when we got there, there was a whole nother wedding happening. Like, like whole horse and carriage, like the whole thing was going down so we decided not to leave our car because we looked like scrubs i still had my high school football shirt on from work because every friday we get dressed down and we just looked like scrubs so we just got drinks instead yeah it was so that much, was our, much better choice that was our friday john liked that better than taking pictures of flowers oh yeah <laughs> so not only is it our favorite month but it's our favorite episode of the year today our listener stories episode It's my favorite because we get to talk ghosts, something I love discussing, no matter how weird people think I am. I basically have two topics of discussion at parties, serial killers and paranormal, which make things a little weird (laughs) and people kind of stay away from me. I don't know why it always like goes that direction, but it always does. And then I, I think the conversation's going so well. And then like driving home, I'm always like, they're probably never going to talk to me again. (laughs) Well, it goes because it goes from casually just talking about, oh yeah, I went to a psychic or something, and then it turns into, and like, then we're like, what? what? And then we key in and on them. It. <laughs> I that's know it. it's actually a problem. But I also love this episode because we get to talk one on one with so many listeners about their stories, and it's really fun to have that open communication. This year, we got a lot of submissions, and we can't wait to share them with you. We actually got so many that we couldn't include them all just in one episode. So we're thinking about doing another listener's story, not this month because we don't want to double you up, but a little bit closer than just a year away from now. Yeah, maybe we'll just put that on Patreon or something for you guys. Yeah, but before we get into the listener's stories, I wanted to start off the show with a story from from John. This one's always my favorite because it involves one of the most terrifying objects in the world, a Raggedy Ann doll. Not just a regular one, but like a supersized one. And if you guys didn't already know, the real Annabelle doll is actually an oversized Raggedy Ann doll. It's not that creepy doll you see on TV. That's that's for a fact. And um, it's the same thing in your story. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually really scary. So here we go. So when my aunt and my father were growing up, they were a few years apart. My aunt had a Raggedy Ann doll. They lived in, uh, they lived in Queens, New York. And they were renting an apartment, you know, kind of near where my family house is now. And my, I want to say my aunt might have been like six or seven years old. My dad might have been like eight or nine. My dad used to play pranks on my aunt all the time. Um, to the point where like they would both get in trouble because they would be like, you know, John, stop it. And my, <laughs> they would just both get in a lot of trouble for it. So this one night in particular, um, my grandmother put my aunt to sleep 
and she had her Raggedy Ann doll. I want to say it was about, it was a smaller one. It was probably about a foot, maybe a two, maybe two feet, and she would always sleep with it every night. And the night went on like it always would. She got tucked into bed. She said, good night, I love you, and that was it. Shut the lights, and she went to sleep. So my grandmother woke up maybe an hour later with my aunt screaming. And she went into the room, and she, you know, you know, everything okay. And she's like, "Oh, you know, mommy, my my doll, my doll. I can't find it." So they couldn't find the doll; like disappeared from, you know, being in her bed. So my grandmother thought to herself, "Well, maybe it's underneath the bed, or, you know, maybe maybe John, my, you know, her brother took it." So she actually realized at that point that my father wasn't even, you know, in the house. She was actually with uh, her husband. So they were, you know, the my 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 father and my grandfather were together. They were out. So she's like, okay, well, maybe it just fell underneath the bed. She looked under the bed. wasn't there. Now she just checked the closet because now my aunt's kind of upset over the doll being gone. She finds the doll in the closet. Um, the only problem is that now the doll has no arm. I believe it was, I want to say it was like the right arm was gone to start. It was missing, like it was torn off. So she said, that's weird. So she took the doll and still gave it to her, you know, I guess, you know, It'll stop her from crying. They go back, you know, they, she tucks her back in, goes back into the room. She goes to sleep, my grandmother. She Now my aunt wakes up again, screaming. My, my grandmother comes in. The doll is missing the other arm now. So now the doll doesn't have two arms. And she's going crazy. And pretty much we're repeating this back and forth where she tucks her in, goes back, and now all the limbs are gone. So both arms and both legs are gone yes. at this point? Yeah. So and if how? I remember correctly, that's exactly okay. how it was going down, was limbs of the doll were just, like, disappearing off the doll. And how old is Fran? I want to say she was six or seven. Okay. I, I wish I had every single small little detail to the story, but I always I always forget. But I know okay. I'm not that far off from the truth. Okay. Um. So that's what happened. And then it got to the point where the doll, the last time when all the limbs were missing, my, my aunt woke up again. Now, she never said why. Like, she... It's, she didn't say something woke her up or she would just feel the doll, I guess, in her hands and like it was just not what it's supposed to be. And then the last time, the doll had every single limb back on it with no stitch or anything. Oh, my God. Now, my dad did get home. And at this point, my my grandmother, you know, my grandmother's like, well, it's not, you know, it's not John, you know. No one's messing with it, and they were really getting upset. And you know, Fran was, you know, she was Freaking distraught. Out. Yeah. yeah, you know, like you know, stop messing with my doll. You know, and my dad's like, I'm not messing with your doll. I haven't even been here. Right. You know, so it was very bizarre. Um, and then I remember my grandmother mentioning that there was weird noises happening, um, but I don't think I don't think that Fran remembers there being any like weird noises or voices or anything. But I know my grandmother did. She like she thought she heard somebody walking around. Um, but there was no one there. It was just her and Fran. So there was no one else in the house. So she did recall hearing like some sort of like footsteps or like uh, noises. So I, we thought that, you know, they thought that that was bizarre. Um, and that was pretty much the end of that night. Now, fast forward, you know, to me being born. And I'm, I'm about six or seven years old at this time. Well, wait, what did they do? They just kept the doll? They um, actually... I'm sorry. I probably should have told you. All right, so let's go back a tiny bit. They got it's rid okay. Of, they, I know the story, so I'm helping you guys They out. <laughs> actually got rid of the doll. Right. That's what I remember. Because the Fran and your dad and you, you all told me this one story one Christmas. So yes. I, I, I'm Fran's voice here right now. I should probably know my facts you. before I tell everybody, yeah. right? <laughs> okay. So they did get rid of the doll. They disposed of the doll. They just threw it out in the garbage. And that was it. And that was the end of it. Never any other experiences. Didn't come back. No weird voices or anything. So now, fast forward to when I'm born, we're living in the family house. It's a different house. They, you know, this was my family house from the 1940s. Um, we're all living in it. My grandmother and my aunt was on one floor. Me, my mother, and my father were in an, on the top floor. And we all lived together. We would have breakfast, you know, things and of that nature. there's a basement apartment, right? There is a basement apartment. So there's three levels. There's th- three family house. Uh-huh. All right, so I'm about six or seven years old. And all of a sudden, like, we're having breakfast. And one morning, my, I guess my aunt must have went outside to check the mailbox for like the newspaper the the morning newspaper maybe to smoke a cigarette too <laughs> um and all of a sudden there was a, a massive raggedy and doll 
sitting on the chair. That's on, scary. On the porch. So, like, it was an open porch. <gasps> there was a few chairs there for people to, like, smoke or whatever and talk. But there was a massive Raggedy Ann doll. If I had to take a guess, I'd say it was like a four to five foot Raggedy Ann doll. It was massive. Biggest Raggedy Ann doll I've ever seen in my entire life. That's terrifying. So now I know Dolls this... should not be that size. No. Now she... Fran saw it and was like, well, in plain English, she was just like, oh shit, what the fuck? And she like ran back inside. Uh-huh. Um, and then I started getting upset. I started crying because I know the story of this weird fucking doll and right. now here it is, the same doll, same look and everything, guys. Well, just Just massive. larger. Um, and it scared the pants off my grandmother, uh, Fran, my dad. Now the first thing that everyone says is, oh, is this, you know, my dad trying to, yeah. you know, scare Fran? And my dad's like, I swear on everything. Like, I, I had nothing to do with this. I don't even know where to go to buy a large raggedy doll like that. I did not do this. So... Everyone's like, are you sure? They're like, he goes like, I'm positive. So <laughs> it was just funny. And now we're, you know, all talking about it and everything and like how the, the events went down. And we, re- I swear to God, guys, we didn't even go out the door to see it again because everyone was so scared. Not to mention that that house in Queens that your family has is kind of known to have like a kind of creepy history. Yeah, my house that I grew up in, I we've probably mentioned I've probably mentioned to you guys before. I think we did it on the Patreon episode. Yes. So not every listener's but heard. Just to kind of go back to that quickly, my house was it's a family house. It's been on our family for generations. My great my great grandfather, he won like the Lithuanian sweepstakes, which was kinda of like a little lottery thing back then. But he won a lot of money and he won like I think forty or fifty thousand dollars back in nineteen thirty nine. So I think that was a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. So he bought actually the plot of land and then the land for our house and built it. So that's what he did. So the house has always been in our family. But a lot of people, a lot of family members have died in the house since nineteen forty. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I used to see things, hear things you know, I hated going in the basement. And I know every kid hates going in the basement. But your basement was actually But my basement was actually haunted, and I used to see people walk down the narrow hallway downstairs. Ooh, creepy. So there's a big difference there. But, um, yes, yeah, so there was always, like, this weird mystique-like so I think creepiness the doll to the house. coming into the picture made things, like, super creepy, only because the vibe in the house was always, okay, we understand that there's other things in this house. Yeah. So, I mean, even though there may be, like, rational explanations for the doll being there years later, what initially, what initially happened with Fran and the doll is terrifying. Yeah. With the limbs being missing and then back on. Like, that's so scary. And like I said, like, you know, who in their right mind would just leave a large raggedy Ann doll on someone's porch? You know, I mean, it's not, it's just weird. No one does that. And no one knew about that story other than my dad and my grandmother. So, you know. It's, it was just something that was so bizarre. And uh, the funny part of this story, actually, there is something funny about it. Um, I actually got the courage to go walk out the door and take the doll. And me and my friend Fernando across the street, because uh, <laughs> that was my best friend, we we actually beat the crap out of the doll and like like ripped it up and. Wow, you guys are so Yeah, brave. we were like, you know, I remember telling Fernando the story and being like, we have to destroy this doll, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, then, and then we pretty much did. So that's what we did. We, like, we beat the shit out of it. Like, we cut it up, and then we just kind of threw it in the garbage, like, in the garbage pail at his house. It was probably, do you know, do you remember what month it was? Was it, like, a Halloween prank, maybe? It wasn't a Halloween prank. I want, well, okay. I want to say it was in the fall, okay. actually. So it but, might have been like a creepy like. But we don't. Thing. Well, I don't. But it, it's weird that someone would go up all of your steps to put it on the front porch. Yeah, it's not like an easy house to just act, have access Very to. You have to walk up the stairs steps. and everything. I don't know, but no one ever came forward about it. But I, I know it wasn't October, and the reason I know it wasn't October is because in my family, October is a crazy month. Everyone's born in October. I we would have I would have remembered that. Right, right. Okay. It probably was like I don't know, maybe sometime in November. But I mean, right, because your birthday is right before Halloween, so you would have remembered. Yeah, it was exactly. Around then. Exactly, and and it wasn't. So, um, very interesting bizarre. story. Yeah. We also, I mean, between John and I, we have some pretty scary stories. We did do a Patreon episode about some of the experiences that we had 
So if you were interested in checking out more of those experiences, you can go to the Patreon episode. It's it's really scary. It's about my terrifying experience that I had at your house. And when you guys moved up into Orange County, that was so terrifying. And it still like destroys me to this day. Put it this way, guys. I've never lived in a house that wasn't haunted. Except, Talk, except for this apartment. Talked, yeah, uh, except for us living here. But living but in a we house. we have to live with the ridiculous neighbors, which is kind of like having people with us I all guess. the time because they're so loud. But, I, but like I said, guys, I mean, what's the what's the um, likelihood of that happening? I've, I literally lived in two homes that were haunted. Right. Well, I think it has to do with, with the building of the houses. Like yeah, your course. first house was built so long ago. And yeah. then Orange County is always known for like any any county or any state that has been around for so long like has that has deep history usually always has true. you know hauntings very true and and last thing sorry about my storytelling guys it's not up to par but yeah. i think you guys got the <laughs> gist of my story we tried to pe- uh we tried to prep john before the storytelling i was like think it, about what you're going to say it didn't really work but i hope <laughs> you guys enjoyed my story yeah. the thing is too you have to also be in the vibe of scary stories you got to be ready for this so Make sure you're putting on your believer's hat and then listening, not, yeah, maybe we'll, not skeptically maybe listening. Maybe we'll give you that feeling. We'll get like a campfire going. I'll invite all you guys over. I'll try to tell stories. That'd be nice. I don't I know if we could do that in the apartment, but no. we'll try. We'll try. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to the episode. So the first listener story we have is from Abigail Legrand. We've been talking to Abigail since last year's episode. She was on the back catalog of our episodes and heard us talking and asking for stories and I'm excited to finally be able to share them with you all. Her stories involve some creepy moments at her high school and now college. My friends and I found that there may be a ghost haunting my school auditorium that we call Charlie. Charlie likes to bang on the door, separating the stage from the classroom, screw with the lights and sounds during showtimes, and mess with the seats. The seats are old and rusty, so when they move, they creak, which is weird when you have all of the seats up and suddenly some of them have silently fallen down. Charlie has also appeared as a black figure backstage and in the sound booth, seen by my drama teacher, both art teachers, an office staff person, and all three administrators. One of the art teachers does some ghost hunting as a hobby. Oh my God, such a cool teacher. And has recorded him and the drama teacher talking And through it, you can hear the ghost tapping on the chair besides the teacher, growing more aggressive over time. The scariest thing by far, though, was during class one day, we were reading a murder mystery play, ironically, out loud, to each other. We had the stage lights on, but the rest of the lights were off, and all of the students were on the stage. Our drama teacher was reading a line, and once she got to the word murder... All of the lights flicked on all at once. That's kind of crazy. That is kind of crazy. Weird. Yeah. So, needless to say, she says we all freaked out and ran off the stage. My teacher won't let me do this, but I'd love to go ghost hunting in there one day and find out what happened to Charlie. That's actually so interesting. It sounds like um, that movie, um, Blumhouse did it, The Hollows? Is that the one? Yes, The Hollows. Yes, it does, actually. Right? Ooh, ooh, creepy. Well, then a few months later, I guess Abigail found out some more stuff about what was going on in this school. So she sent a follow-up email. Oh, great. And the follow-up email says, I wanted to follow up with my story about our school ghost, Charlie, who I found has been named because of a memorial left for a former teacher named Mr. Templeton. But I don't know yet if he was a theater teacher or if he was killed at the school. So I guess that that is the teacher's name. So that's where the name Charlie comes from. Okay. So that's pretty interesting that there is kind of like a source to the rumor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's interesting because let's just say, um, without going crazy into detail here, but uh, they they do say like all these people that are into uh, ghost hunting and ghosts and apparitions and stuff, they do say that what you do in a pat, like what you did when you were alive, sometimes you gravitate towards that in your when you're dead, right, and relive you know, it, and relive it. So like if he was a if he truly no was, no that's not the one who, the one that now is a ghost hunter that is at the school now. Oh, oh damn. Yeah. Well, they do say that though. But that would have been a good theory there, okay. buddy. I'm sorry. It's okay. I tried. We love you. Okay. Um. <laughs> But I think that it's really interesting because 
it has a basis that like that's the name of the character. I think all schools kind of have this theory that it's haunted, especially the older schools. I know that at my high school that I teach at, it's it's an older high school. They had there are additions that have been added onto it, but the vibe in the school that's usually lively and loud when it's quiet and there's no one there, there's no other creepy feeling. Like I can't explain it. Even like in the morning. So sometimes I I do the Saturday school, like I all the kids that are there for Saturday detention. So that runs from 8 to 11. So I have to make sure that the kids leave, like once I dismiss them. And one girl told me she needed to go to her locker, but it was downstairs. So as I'm leaving the library, like I hear a noise downstairs I know it's not the custodians because I know they were in the English wing, which was to the right, but I heard a, a noise downstairs to the left. So I figure, oh, it's the girl getting her stuff from her lock. She must still be in a locker. Okay. So I go down and I'm calling her name and I get all the way down the staircase and I just see like these, it's pitch black and like these row of lockers and I was just so terrified. I just, it was so scary. I don't know. I can't explain it. It was 11 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday, but it was pitch black, terrifying, creepy, because like there's supposed to be noise in a school. You know what I mean? Right. So I really just kind of booked it up the stairs and was like, she'll find her way out if she's there. I don't know. <laughs> like, I was so scared. That's really I, funny. I just left. No, there is something creepy about like a, like a, a school. A school. Whether yeah. it's at night or in the day, as long, you know, as long as it's empty, it's creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. So... Abigail is then going to send us another story because that was her senior year of high school. So it was last year she sent that. But this year, when we did a call for like new stories, she's going to say, so I just started my freshman year of college and my friends and I decided to explore the stacks of our library while it was still devoid of students. Never do anything when no kids are around. Like that's my theory. (laughs) Don't do anything. We were walking around and began hearing whistling coming from the corners of the stacks. What? Yeah. So we all went to different areas of the room to try and follow the sounds. But there was no one there. We couldn't find anything. That's kind of creepy. That is so weird. I would love to know what school. Just because. Because, yeah. like, you know, some schools are have been around forever. Right, right. And just... I feel like that's, can you imagine, complete silence, you're just looking at books, and then you hear whistling. I think whistling would scare me more than, like, disembodied voices. Yeah, like, just hearing people talk, oh, well, yeah, because it's, like, it's kind of an ominous thing. And, like, whistling could be taken for, like, you know, to, like, intent. I'm coming to, like, to get hey, you. I'm coming. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Ooh, I don't like it. Okay, so our next story is from Trista Chandler. So, she says... My family moved into our childhood home after an older woman had passed away there. Sounds familiar. That's exactly what happened in your second home. We all believed her presence remained. My sister had come home to a swinging punching bag in my brother's room when there was no one around and the windows were closed shut, so it couldn't have been a breeze. Another sister and my mom had been awoken, paralyzed in fear, hearing whispers outside of their windows. My own encounter occurred one evening as I was watching TV in the living room. It was dark, but I watched my mom's shadow walk into the computer room. It's 2007, so remember, we we all had a computer room. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it's, yeah. Except the only difference is my dad would never <laughs> let me in there. I was never allowed in my computer room what the either. Fuck? Yeah, you know, Rude. let's call him out on that shit. All right. All right, anyway. So she sees her mom's shadow walk into the computer room as she's watching TV. So she got up and followed her in to ask a question, only to realize that no one was there. Oh, man. My mom had been reading in bed the whole time. All of these paranormal moments gravitated towards one area of the house, one that changed from the bedroom to the computer room and eventually to the mudroom with an addition. I was never scared of the spirit. It seemed harmless. When she died, she had left the cat to the house, which we took good care of for 15 years. Wow. Oh, well, until he was 15 years old. Sorry. So that's pretty interesting. Maybe it was the spirit, like, making sure that the cat was still being taken care of. 
Yeah, and you know what? That's that's a really amazing thing that you did there. That's really nice. That actually. is really nice that you guys kept because not everybody would do that. No, I think at it, all. it does have like kind of like a creepy feel to it, keeping the pet of someone who died in the house. But it's a really nice thing to do. No, definitely. I think that that happens a lot. You got you had a very similar experience where you felt like the woman who died in the house was kind of just around to make sure the house is being taken care of. So Absolutely. Maybe... And and you know what's what's bizarre is that uh, really quickly, for the people who didn't listen to it on Patreon, you know... When this we is were... the house that I got so scared of that I left at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. I don't want to go into crazy detail, yeah. but I'll just let you know that like that's exactly what we felt. Everything that, that she's mentioning is exactly what I had going on, except it was a little bit more Malevolent. violent. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, things would turn on. Uh, nothing got thrown, but doors would open on their own. Yes. Um, yes. It was pretty intense. But what, what was what, what was bizarre about it was when my mother finally said one day out loud in the house and said, look, we're here. We're just renting. No, we weren't renting. But she was just saying, like, how we're not there forever. Yeah. This is just a short-term thing. You know, this is still your home. And I'm going to make sure that I watch over for you and I we'll take, take care great of care of it. And this is what's crazy. When my mother was not home, the whatever spirit it was would go fucking crazy. Right. But the moment my mom got home, everything it stopped. Fine. And it but then it, it acted up when you guys were selling the house. Yes, when we were selling the house, guys, everything it was started scary. Up. and that's when I was yes. basically chased out of the house. Yes. That was oh my god, that's such a scary story. That's on our Patreon episode though. If you guys want to go hear yeah, that, yeah. I, I feel like I don't want to give away my, my I mean, thunder, yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> but that's pretty much what happened. But I feel like, Trista, you had a similar experience where maybe the spirit wasn't there to hurt you, but just to, to kind of check up on everything. And it kind of goes back to what I said before, even though it made no sense, was that, <laughs> you know, a spirit will come back to where they resided, the cat, that you know, though they owned a cat, maybe that had something to do with it. Right, checking up on Checking everything. up on a cat, the cat's there, you know? So next we have a story from Nicole Hayden-Thaller. So she writes, first off, huge fan. We're a huge fan of you, Nicole. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) So here's her story. And this one scared me so bad. Did it? I shouldn't have read this in the dark. Ah, damn. I just wanted the experience, you know? So I live in a pretty safe suburban area. Nothing too sketchy. Well, one night I needed to drive my friend home. So we walked out to my car which was parked on the street. As soon as we got outside, I got a creepy vibe and automatically put the keys in my hand in case I needed to protect myself. That's actually how I always walk out to my car in the morning because it's always so dark when I leave for work. That's like a girl thing. Like you put your keys in your hands like so it's like sticking out. So So it's it's like you got brass knuckles on or something? Yeah, but they're just house keys. Yeah. You know, I don't got to give her some props there. She got the feeling right yeah, away. She, she knows. That's good. I feel like that you always get that gut feeling before something like weird happens. That's intuition right yeah. there. So my friend just kept talking the whole time. Friend definitely doesn't have this intuition. <laughs> no. Uh, the whole walk. So she kept talking the whole walk down the driveway. Where at the end of the driveway, I saw a guy walking along the sidewalk very slowly. Like creepily slow. She didn't notice him. Well, I basically fast walked and got into my car and automatically locked all of the doors. I turned to her and asked if she got the same vibes. She didn't even know what I was talking about until I pointed forward to where he had gotten to my mailbox at the end of the driveway. She gasped. And as I put my keys in the car and my lights turned on, he had slowly turned around and was just staring at us. He tilted his head as the lights lit up his face. You know, like like a puppy. And she says, like a puppy does when it's being cute, but this was very, 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 very not cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. Like Michael Myers style, tilting my so, head, once looking again, at them. So, so at this point now, both of them see this. Both of them see the guy. Okay, gotcha. Can you imagine that? That's like something out of a... a scary movie where you get out of your car and really you're out of your house to get to your car and someone's slowly walking towards you yeah that's like i have to get to my car first you know what's crazy kind of fear you know what (laughs) no i'm not making a joke of this at all by no means but like me in like you know how i am okay 
like when I get really nervous, I'll make a joke or I'll say something kind of fucked up <laughs> if I'm scared. So I'd, I'd roll the window down. I'd probably be like, get the fuck out of the way, idiot. Like I'm just out of like like fear or being scared. You know, like I would, yeah. I wouldn't just like keep looking at him while he's looking at I me. I don't think so, though. I think you've never been put in this situation. I have not, and I it paralyzes you in fear, where you're like, "Oh my god, well, what if do I, I do?" Wasn't paralyzed. I'd be like, "Get the fuck out of the way! I'm driving." <laughs> so she goes on to say, "I just remember that he had bright red hair, and his eyes were off, like you could see right through them, like kind of like a dead stare." Creepy. Well, I put my car into drive and sped off. And when I got home, after driving her home about midnight, I parked my car. I would have been so scared. Oh, yeah. I probably would have been. And and called my sister, who, and she does say sorry for this, was actually cuddling with the first date on their front couch. (laughs) So she apologizes to her sister for messing up her date. And made her open the house door and watch me run from my car into the house in case he decided to show up. It was completely terrifying. I never told my parents because they'd probably think I was joking, but I'll never forget the feeling, even though it was years ago. That is so scary. I don't know what I would do. Like like you said, you'd be paralyzed in fear. I honestly have no idea what I would do. And I, you know what I mean? It's like I say what I said before, well, but I, I mean, I, in reality, what would you do? Probably just drive off as fast as you could. Right. That's just a... It's like... Things like that happen. It's kind of things that you only see like happen in movies and you know it never turns out well. So the fact that what's the scariest part is that this guy is definitely weird. He knows that he scared her. So even if it was like a joke, a prank that was being played, he knows that he scared this girl. And if he shows up at this house again, he can terrify her, which is keeping her on edge. And then if it's real, he knows that she lives there. You know what's really scary about this story? more than anything so far is that this could have been something real as far as it was a real person right but what if like you know what i mean really what if what they both were seeing wasn't really a person that was alive you can go either way all right i know you see what i'm saying like it probably wasn't you know but you never know yeah it could have been something that you know it could have been a real person that was there or it could have been you know and I, and what I was thinking at the beginning of the story was that she saw it first, and the other, and the other girl didn't. Right. And that would like make me think. Well, could it be that she's? You know, some people have a gift, some people don't. Some people, though, like are very observant, and like, That's true. oh my god, I'm just now walking to my car in the morning. Is so scary after I read this story. <laughs> God. Yeah. Like, right, it was sent like about a week ago, and it's been a terrifying week walking to my car. I'm really sorry. Yeah. But thank you for the story, though. Yeah, that's an amazing story, and it's so creepy. And I feel you. I feel like my parents would have not listened to me either. Oh, mine too. They would, well, maybe Never. my mom, but my dad would have been like, uh, Are you smoking something? Go to sleep. Like, yeah. you know, like, my dad it's wouldn't have believed me. We actually had someone try and get into like break into our house it was the weirdest so the house that i live in that i lived in when i was a kid they had so where my bedroom was it was on the side of the house and there was a stone walkway but like those little pebbles the grout like a gravel like kind of like a gravel yeah yeah so we i could always hear someone walking on it So, like, I felt like I was always in fear that someone was going to, even though I lived on the second story, like, come in through my window. I just had irrational fears my whole entire life. So, one night, and this is when I'm in middle school, I hear someone walking up the gravel. And it was slow, and then it turned into, like, a run. So... That would lead to our stairs, and we had a raised ranch, so, like, the stairs would go up to, to our one level that we had, because our, our ba- basement was above ground. So I, I woke up my parents, there's someone coming to the door, there's someone coming to the door. My parents sprung up, and my dad ran to the door, and we the doorknob was turning. So we had a storm door, and then a real door. So they must have opened the storm door, and they were trying to get in the door of the house. Wow. So my dad was actually like pressed his body up against the door and was telling my mom call 911 and 
I was so terrified, but I we had this big window that you could look out if you like you had to be on the couch. So like you had to bend over the couch to look. I got on the couch and I look out the window and there's someone in all black trying to get into the front door. Wow. It was so scary. So my mom's crying. I'm crying. My sister's crying. My sister didn't even know why she was crying because she had no idea what was <laughs> going on. She just crying. saw everyone else crying. So eventually they stopped and then they ran down all of our stairs. And then this is when we all peeked out the window and we saw him. He was hiding behind my father's car in the driveway. So when the police came, they told us that they caught the guy down the street. He was hiding behind another car and that there was someone who was dealing drugs on our street. Listen, I lived in the most suburban neighborhood ever. Like, you would never think there's a drug dealer on your street, but there was. And he was living in one of... There was, like, a big house that had four apartments in it, and the guy was living in one of the apartments. And it must have been a drug deal gone bad. And the guy was coming after him with a gun. So that was the guy that was trying to get away. No way. Yeah, and he was trying to hide. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was so scary. And I think that's where... The basis of my fear is that someone's going to break into my house because I saw it actually physically almost happen. Right. It was so scary. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Ter- I bet. So bad. Okay. So let's get back into the show. Okay. So let's get into a story from a fellow history major. Nice. Uh, yes. Ray Thice. So Ray wrote into the show and said that this isn't necessarily a Halloween story, but it's a very uh, true, scary story. So he writes, I worked as a historical archivist at the West Texas Collection at Angelo State University in San Angelo, Texas from 2009 to 2014 while I was going to school there. I'm a history major. Love it. It's really like the most fun major that you could have. It's... The coolest. Like, I just I love took, anybody that is yes, a history major. I took some of the coolest classes in college, like the history of witchcraft, um, genocide, and the Holocaust. Like, it was just, they were the best classes. And everyone else doing, like, anatomy and physiology. And I'm like, I'm learning about witches. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so the job at the archives was everything that I could have dreamed of. And I am very jealous of this job, Ray. It sounds amazing. If you've ever seen the television series Mysteries at the Museum, you'll know quite well that hidden in the dusty archives of every museum is always that one particular curious item that is unique and often has a puzzling history to it. For us at the West Texas Collection, it was the Seance Book. The Seance Book is a thick leather-bound journal that was handwritten in the 1890s. However, the only portion of the book that was written in English is the inscription on the front cover, which only reads the seance book. The rest of the journal, which is over 30 pages in length, was written in an old form of German that very few people can translate. Wow, that's really interesting. Very crazy. Wow. For years, everybody who worked at the West Texas Collection could only speculate as to what the seance book actually was. Since it was written in a type of Germanic language that is no longer used today, none of the German language professors could translate the handwritten text. And I must confess, some of my co-workers didn't really want to know what the book was. It was around 2013 when a recently retired school teacher from a small town called Eden started visiting the West Texas Collection. Since her retirement, she had grown a desire to study and research her family history, and our archives had everything she needed to begin her work. On one of her visits, she brought up a family document that she had been given from a relative and asked if we could scan it and add it to her flash drive. When we examined the paper, we noticed that it was printed in the same form of German language that the seance book was written in. So we asked the patron, who was a very sweet lady, if she could read what the document stated. She said that she could because her grandmother had taught her that form of the German language when she was a little girl. What a coincidence. That's crazy. So we asked her if she wouldn't mind to take a look at the seance book to see if she could interpret it. Excitedly, she agreed. We brought the book out to her and she opened it to the first page and started reading. She only managed to get about 10 pages into it before slamming it closed 
and informing us that she didn't feel comfortable reading any further. Startled by her sudden reluctance, we naturally inquired as to what the book was about. She told us, quite frightened, that the book was indeed a seance book. Basically, the journal was the observational notes of a German doctor and his wife from a town in central Texas called Comanche, which still exists today. During the 1890s, there was a public fascination with all things related to the paranormal, and seances were one of those attractions. Now, that is very much true. It's called the uh, modern spiritualist movement that took place really from the 1850s to the 1890s. And it began with um, the Fox sisters from New York. And they, I mean, they were found out to be frauds, but they would hold seances and like they did the whole knocking thing. And, and people were really into thinking that they were communicating with the spirits. But the spiritualist movement was taught and it said that anyone could become a medium through practice. And this is going to kind of skyrocket after the Civil War when everyone lost somebody. Right. Right. It was so devastating. So everyone wanted to communicate with the dead and they did so through the, like the spiritualist movement. So that's also what we see at the Winchester house. Right. Right. Winchester was obsessed with the spiritualist movement. She even had a seance room built into the Winchester house. Which is crazy. Yeah. So it's the same thing that's happening here. So the doctor and his wife were caught up in the paranormal craze, and the couple decided to start experimenting with seances. Late in the evenings, the doctor and his wife would go together into the basement of their home and conduct their private seances. It would only be the two of them present during the seances, and the doctor made detailed notes on everything that occurred. His wife was normally the one who would be possessed, and over the course of just those ten pages, The doctor described several instances where she would suddenly start convulsing, screaming, speaking in languages and tones that he knew for certain she didn't know. That's so creepy and scary. Yeah. And it's just the two of them and they're just writing it in this book. Okay. So what is, I think, validating to this is that they're not trying to seek attention. It's just a book that was found. Like it was for their own private notes. Okay. They weren't getting people to the well, house. Because this person was a doctor or something. Right. right. So it's just kind of like they were doing it on their own. She's not doing it for attention here. Right. It kind of makes adds to the creepiness of it It does. All. It definitely does. Because it doesn't seem like a book that they wanted to be published. It was more of a, like, like a journal. Right. Just That's for private use. Yeah. So the couple was starting to dive deeper into the seance practices when our elderly patron decided that she could no longer read it. We didn't trouble her with reading the book ever again because she seemed so upset. And as far as I know, it has still never been fully translated. I left the West Texas collection in August of 2014. Last I heard, my coworkers had displayed the seance book a couple of times so that the staff and students could see it. But other than that, it's still in a dusty old acid-free box sitting on a shelf in the archives. That is so cool. Anyhow... Not really a Halloween story, I suppose, but it is a true scary story. And if you'd like any, us or any listeners would like more information on the seance book, you can contact the West Texas Collection. They're open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5 Central Standard Time. Nice. Get a little seance book in your life. (laughs) It's actually super scary. I love this guy's job. Yeah, that's that a cool is so job cool. to have. I know. See, I don't the know problem if I could is, do my job though. Jobs like this don't pay the bills, and that's what sucks because it is preservation of our history is something that you know we need to care a little bit more about. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I love history. Yeah, it's just my history teacher coming out. <laughs> it is, but that's okay. I like it. So I really liked that one, and it would be cool if we could get more like archive stories. But I feel like they're so they're so rarely talked about. But when you think about it, archives rooms are so full of history that sometimes you got to think there might be objects in there that do contain that paranormal element. Oh yeah. Okay, so our next listener story is from Sherry, and here is the story that she wrote in. Back in two thousand and two, I was living alone in an apartment. I had been dating this awesome guy who was a student at UT. Much younger than me, but still legal. (laughs) That's funny. That's okay. John's younger than me, so it's always how it works. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, yeah. 
Sometimes when I took naps, I would feel something odd caressing my hair and shoulders, like it was standing over me. One day, I came home from work to find an old Halloween greeting card laying on the bathroom floor, and I asked my boyfriend if he had put it there, and why. He said he thought I put it there to be silly, because on the card read the word, sweetie. I called him sweetie that morning, so he thought that I did it. I denied this and started wondering how it got from being packed up in the closet to the bathroom. That's creepy. Yeah. I love this stuff. Oh my god. Sometime later, he had been out. Sometime later, he had been out of town. And I knew I would be gone when he came home. So I'd left him a little notebook with notes on it on the recliner in my place. Well, when I got home, I could tell it had been read. The pages were open. I asked the office if there had been anyone in there, and they denied that anyone had gone into the apartment. My boyfriend had not been home yet either, and the AC was not on, so it couldn't have blown it open. How in the world? That's crazy. It is weird. Like, I mean, how is that happening? It seems like something is interfering with the relationship. Let me read more and then it'll kind of make sense. One night, I was alone and asleep, and I was woken by someone walking on the carpet, shuffling, and it sounded like it was bare feet. My closet light was also on. I always left it on. I opened my eyes to see a man standing just inside the doorway, looking at me, scratching his head like he was confused, wearing white boxers, a white undershirt, and sandy blonde bobbed haircut with large tinted glasses, almost like in the late 70s style, with bare feet. I closed my eyes fast, hoping that it would go away, and suddenly I felt the caressing on my hair and neck again. I got the nerve to jump up and run into the living room. I sat in my recliner, scared shitless. I then heard a coffee cup with an empty spoon sound like it was stirring. Like the clink, clink, clink. Oh my god. And I had nothing on my counters, nor did I even own a coffee maker at the time. I finally fell asleep and got to work that morning not knowing what to do. No, I'd be having panic attacks. I just wouldn't go home. (laughs) So when I got home, I remember making Hamburger Helper uh, my favorite ever. Love it. Um, Very similar to what you said before. And I started talking out loud to him. I said, hey, man, I hate to break this to you, but you're dead. And if you see a light of some sort, we have been told that our our families are there always waiting for us. But if you don't want to go, you can hang out. Just don't throw things or slam doors. Just don't scare me. And from that night forward, I never had any evidence that he was there. So I guess he just didn't know he was dead. Maybe he decided to move on, or maybe he just felt comfortable, you know? I hope he hadn't been there for the past 30 years, wondering why nothing had changed. I felt bad after the fact. Maybe he didn't want to go. The apartments finally admitted reports of hauntings in the past. Wow. That's a great story. That is really, that's a good story. That's very creepy. Very scary. Because it's not just like one isolated thing, or two, even two. Like, there was things happening all the time, it seems like. Yeah, and I think it had to do with maybe, like, the guy not knowing. It's very interesting yeah. that he was dead. Oh, yeah. Or who, like, who she was. You know, he was confused. Yeah. It's a really interesting story. That's terrifying. But laying in bed, having someone caress your face, and then, like, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have 100% peed the bed. <laughs> 100%. That's terrifying. I think, I think you would be both. So, yeah, that was definitely a creepy story. Thanks, Sherry, for that, for sending that in. That's going to make it a little harder to sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you. So our next story is from Rosie Monero, who lives in Florida. And this is the story that she sent in. I was on vacation with my husband in New Orleans. We were on our honeymoon. I know, glamorous, so we go every year. (laughs) John would actually love that. I would. As long as we went to a Saints game. I am a big New Orleans Saints fan, and I love New Orleans in general. So we were walking around the French Quarter, and at this point we were on Royal Street. I think some people know where this is going. There were film crews everywhere, so we were walking to get a closer look at what was going on. 
As we were approaching the film set, I saw out of the corner of my eye a figure on the roof of the house across the street. My heart dropped, and then I saw it again, and it was like the figure just dropped out of the sky, like off of the roof. Wow. I screamed, and I grabbed my husband's arm, and I told him what I saw. He said he didn't see anything, and a guy behind us, I want to say that he was drunk because he was so rude, said, honey, stop playing it up for the cameras. And I was too shocked to even say anything to him. So someone walked up to me after he left and said, he's talking about the Lowry Mansion. You were pointing at the actual Lowry Mansion. And I asked her what she meant. And she said, American Horror Story isn't filming at the Lowry Mansion. They're filming two houses down. So... I was confused, and I I just thanked her and walked away. But I was too shaken to explain it all over again, she said. It turns out that they were filming the third season of American Horror Story, but I had seen a little girl on the roof of what was actually the Lowry Mansion. And when I looked up the house, many others claimed to have seen this little girl, and the story is terrifying. I'm curious to know what you think. Okay, first of all, I know all about this, because I'm mildly obsessed with the Lowry Mansion. Because the story is absolutely terrifying. So she is right. What had happened was there's a haunted house in New Orleans called the Lowry Mansion. And Nicolas Cage had actually bought in the house. But as we know, there's been some tax problems that Nicolas Cage is going through. So he had to sell the house. He sold the house to a Texas oil tycoon. And the guy has closed the house to tours. When Nicolas Cage owned it, he allowed the murder tours to go through the house. But this guy from Texas doesn't. And when American Horror Story wanted to film season three of Coven, one of their storylines was Madame LaLaurie. So they wanted to film at the actual mansion, but he wouldn't allow them to do so. So they had to film down the street at a house that looks similar to the LaLaurie mansion. Okay. So that's what she's referring to. That's what she saw. So that part, that's 100% she's telling the truth. Right. What she's referring to is the ghost of Nina, and that is like a very common story that's told, that a slave girl is seen often either out of the third story window or on the roof. That's how where she appears. So the story of Madame Lowry is just so fascinating to me. And so this is the, the myth behind it, that so in the 1830s, Madame Lowry and her husband moved from france to new orleans and this was her third husband it was very well known that her husband was not attracted to her he was kind of a a man about the town if you know what i mean she he had to marry her because she had gotten pregnant with their son so in the uh american horror story that's that storyline's kind of not true she did have a half sister but she didn't have any daughters so that's not true about the storyline so the myth behind this is, is that Madame Lowry was very aggressive towards her slaves and she tortured them. But they were very prominent members of New Orleans society. So they would have all these parties and everyone wanted to go. And one day when her Nina, the slave girl, was brushing her hair, she hit a snag and Madame Lowry ch- was chasing her. And to escape the fate all the other slaves met in the house... Nina, rather than being captured by the Lowry, jumped out of the third story window to her death. Oh my god. Yeah. This we know did actually happen because there is documentation of the authorities visiting the house. Because what Lowry did was she buried Nina in the yard, which as per the black codes, which is laws as to how you have to treat your slaves, you're not allowed to do that. You have to give a proper funeral. So she was warned. Then, so like as the story goes, one night in 1837, they were throwing a house party. There was a slave in the kitchen chained to the table. She had made a mistake. And Lowry made a comment to her saying that you're going to go up in the attic. So instead of going up in the attic, the slave started a fire. And a fire broke out in the middle of a party. So everyone ran out and the fire department went in. And when they searched the house... They found the slaves in the attic. The legend is that they were doing medical experiments, her and her husband, the doctor. The skin was peeled back on 
the slaves. There was like sexual transformation surgeries. There was a slave in a box whose limbs were broken to fit in. Um, various levels of starvation. And the people were so angry that the Lowrys were chased out and they were never caught and they returned to France. Another legend is that weeks later, when they went in to try and start the renovations because someone else bought the property, that they heard screaming in the house, disembodied voices. So they ran out and sold the property to someone else because there was ghosts. So it didn't sell for two months. And then when the other person bought it and they did the renovation, they realized that those weren't disembodied voices, that when they pulled back the floorboards in the attic, that there were slaves under the floor screaming for help. Oh my God, that's incri- that's that's crazy. Isn't that the most insane that's, story? I mean, it's insane. It's so like grotesque, but... So that's the story behind the Lowry Mansion. What's real and what's fake is up for debate. Um, there is no documentation about any type of involvement of Madame Lowry's husband. What is recorded is that the slaves that were found in the attic were only in various um, stages of starvation. There's no documentation of anyone having their skin peeled back, being in boxes. There's absolutely zero records of people being found in the floorboards. Maybe bodies were buried there, but there's no, I don't know. There's no record to back up all of these legends. Right. So it's just really hearsay, really. It's like, really just a story. It's a story, yeah. Um, and That's why American Horror Story picked it up, because it's so insane. Yeah. But what is true is that in Creole society, slaves were treated horrifically. And there was a lot of this happening in New Orleans society, especially high society. But Lowry was found out but it's not that these things didn't happen in all the homes right in new orleans which is so sad and the the energy in the house definitely no matter what took place up in that attic you have to understand that two people killed themselves so they wouldn't have to go up there so it had to have been bad it had to have been bad i think it might have been it had to have been worse than just starvation i think so too yeah um and the the ghost that it seems like was seen was by Rosie was was Nina and a lot of people report seeing Nina I believe it 100% yeah so that's Rosie that's an amazing story thank you for letting me share my passion of the Lowry mansion I am so obsessed with it (laughs) it's just it's it's absolutely terrifying and it shows the depravity of the society at the time but also the entitlement where what happened was so horrific and she just left the country and was never prosecuted for anything yeah. nothing i find it bizarre and there's no ever like nobody ever talks about her after that i feel like either no nobody went to go look for no. her she kind of just left and they let her go unreal interesting right oh yeah all right let's get back to these stories okay so our next story comes from a fellow podcaster really yeah this is holly from the Murd Up podcast which is amazing, and I highly, highly suggest that you go check them out. It's kind of similar to like the, our setup, where it's like like she's telling him the stories. It's really interesting, and it's good, and they cover great topics. All of the ones that you haven't heard before and new twists on the ones that you have. So if you're looking for a new true crime podcast to check out, it's definitely Murda. All right, so here's her story. In 1991, it's, it's more of a true crime story than it is a paranormal story. In 1991, in Waynesboro, Virginia, it's funny because we always see signs for that when we go down to North Carolina. Yes, that's true. My grandmother was beaten into a coma and beyond recognition. She was left in her apartment and assumed dead until concerned people at the restaurant she worked at raised the alarm and the cops went by. She was found alive, but in a coma. She eventually is going to die from her injuries. Growing up, we never knew why, but the gossip was that it was a relationship gone wrong. My mom is the one who actually had to ID her. And she said when she went down to see her that she actually had a boot imprint in the middle of her face. My God. That's that's horrible. It's horrible. So that happened in June, and she died two months later. The guy got away with it for almost 20 years until he committed fraud and had to give a DNA sample which was a match to evidence found at my grandmother's crime scene. 
He took a plea and got three years and basically confirmed that it was a crime of passion. I went to the hearing and never once did he apologize for the death. That's disgusting. Definitely. I mean, that, that's, that is. I mean, how can that happen? Right. You know what I mean? I just think that it's ridiculous that you could only get three years for that. But I know, I understand time has passed, and but you murdered somebody. And there's evidence. There's evidence and you admitted to it. Right. So then why? I mean, that's just so bizarre to me. I mean, because they're bringing him in on, on a separate charge, hoping that, you know, right. they'll get him regardless. But that's like murder. Like three years. So that I family. mean, the judge has to consider everything on the table. And they're obviously, he didn't. But he or she did not. And the fact that you beat someone so badly, you left a boot imprint on someone's face and yeah. disfigured them. I mean, that's 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 unthinkable. Like, just to think, okay, so if that's a crime of passion and you have that rage inside of you, what's to say that something else didn't happen similar to that in those 20 years? Right. What if he did something else? Oh, my God. So she added that there are some things that make this case a little bit more interesting. That when she was four, that's when um, her grandmother had died. She'd never met her because their family kind of wasn't talking, you know, the way many families do sometimes. Um she said, but even though her mother wasn't talking to her, her mother did everything to, in her power to find out what happened and who did it. But unfortunately, she died a year later from cancer. So she was really never able to find like justice for her mother, which is so sad. It is sad. I'm sorry to hear that. I know, Holly. It's such a, like, a sad story. And I feel like even though like this is just such a perfect example of even though sometimes we find the killers, is justice ever really served? Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Another interesting thing about the story is that her boyfriend's grandparents uh, used to have breakfast where she worked every morning. And they were one of the people who were alarmed when she didn't show up for work. So isn't that funny? Oh, wow. That there's a connection between the yeah. two families. And she said, according to family legend, her mom was even trying to get the murder onto Unsolved Mysteries. She doesn't know how true this is, but that is definitely a story for Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah. Because really, when you didn't know who did that, it's like there's this killer on the loose, this violent criminal. And he was out there for 20 plus for years. For 20 years. That's so scary. So, I mean. Yeah. But like any amazing podcaster, Holly included news article confirming the sentencing and the only picture she had of her grandmother. So, Holly, thanks for sharing that story with us. That is so crazy. It is. Yeah. Thank you for, you know. Yes. And guys, please check out Holly's podcast, Murdered Up. It's actually, it's really great. So I think you'll enjoy it. And our final story comes from Jisoo Kim. And it's very similar to Holly's story. And she says, this is a crime story told by my father. Apparently, when he was in his mid-twenties, one of his friends from high school murdered his wife. The reason why the friend murdered his wife was because of her infidelity. The wife had a long-term relationship with a boyfriend before marrying my father's friend due to her family's dislike of her long-term boyfriend. My dad's friend was unaware of this, and when he found out that his wife was still in a relationship with her, what he thought was her ex-boyfriend... He at first forgave her and wanted to try and reconnect and make the relationship work. But she wanted a divorce and she wanted to get back with her ex-boyfriend. Well, to be with him. So she packed her things up and was about to leave. And the friend shot and killed her. And after that, the friend went on the run from the police. And his father-in-law did a press conference to beg him to turn himself in, saying that he would do anything he could to make sure that he didn't get charged for his daughter's murder and that he expressed that he understood why he killed his daughter and he apologized for not allowing his daughter to marry the person she truly loved. Like, he was saying, it's my fault. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, He's saying that he should have never forced his daughter into marriage. So... Jisoo Kim said that my dad was interviewed extensively along with other high school friends after the incident because the police because the police thought that they could um, be the ones that were helping him hide. So they kept asking them again and again where the guy was. So to this day, no one ever knows what happened to him. He never turned up anywhere. 
Wow. It's that, so that's crazy. A twist. It's like there's these big, you know, things of people getting away. I mean, in Holly's case, the person was caught after 20 years, but with this one, no one was caught it's, here. You see, it's just one of those the things. The Lowry's were never caught. It could just go either way sometimes, even with technology and just, you know, great policing or, or sometimes not so great policing. Right. This can happen. It can go either way. It happens all the time. So I so those were really interesting. I thought it was a good mix of like true crime stories that we got and also paranormal stories. So it was, it was a nice um, nice mix. Yeah, I like that. So we love doing these listener stories with you guys. Actually, this morning when I checked, there were some more stories. So we're thinking maybe we'll do another episode like this in the summer. Yeah, yeah and we'll throw that on Patreon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We have a big one coming up for you in two weeks that I think you'll really enjoy. So until then, guys, happy October. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>